we have very complementary skills. We also have distinct personalities. And I love it. I love, I love that. What I have learned in like, especially like the past couple of weeks of like working on projects together is, and I've always kind of known this about myself, but it's really apparent about myself now is I'm very much the type of person that like wants to just like get something live, have it go. And then like, let's just like see what happens. And then like, we can like, you know, fix things as we go. And then Rachel is the enhancer and like wants things like polished and like good quality which is something I very much appreciate about Rachel. But sometimes when, you know, there's some of that quality control that we're going through, I go, I go in my head and I'm like, there's no fucking white man that has to go through this. He can just do what I want to do and just like get shit live and people will totally give him money, but we have to enhance it. We have to have it polished. We have to take the extra steps in order for people to want to buy in. You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. This is a first for the High Growth Founders Podcast, but I really hope this isn't the last. And actually, I have a couple of things planned to make sure that it isn't. But today's interview is actually with co-founders. So there's three of us talking. Very different kind of vibe, but it it was amazing. So today, I interview Rachel Kim and Algelin Sperber of MyComma. And MyComma is a subscription box for menstruators. Basically, it's your period care. And these two women are total powerhouses. They are absolutely fascinating. They are so incredibly interesting. And they not only tell the story of how they joined forces because they started as two totally separate businesses, but I'm also regularly astounded. I know these women well. I'm an advisor for their company. I'm regularly astounded by their bond and how they show up as co-founders. And we dive deep into how they did it. It's not something that just happened magically. They put so much thought and intention into creating a deep and meaningful relationship that has powered their business and powered their business growth. And it's inspiring as hell, but they also give some really tactical advice on how you can do it. Um, We also dive into what it's like being a woman founder and how some of the struggles that they they deal with and what comes up because they are also both two women of color. They are fascinating. They're total powerhouses. We get into some really, really cool stuff and things that I think are going to change how you think about the co-founder relationship and how you can make better decisions, more intentional decisions to build meaningful levels of trust and creating a relationship with your business partners, with your co-founders, so that you're kind of ready for anything. And they talk about how they did it. And it is, it's powerful. So give a listen. And also, ooh, 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 make sure you make it till the end because we also dive into their new crowdfunding campaign how they thought through it, what they're doing. Um, it's really freaking cool. I think you're going to get a ton out of this episode. So give a listen. Rachel, Algelin, I am so incredibly excited for you both to be on the show. This is my first co-founder interview. And I'm really, really excited for this one, especially with two absolute powerhouse humans. So... Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. 
So as we just first get started, tell everybody who the heck you both are, what you do, share a little bit about your business. Well, we always like to start things with a My Comma intro. So I am Rachel Kim. I am a CEO, co-founder, um, travel enthusiast, period, equity, also gender, gender equity champion and mentor. Um, we have many roles in life. And I, you know what My Comma is, is really trying to celebrate that and support people who do have periods at this point in time so that they can live their best lives. Um, Aljolan, did you want to also give yours? Hello, I'm Algelin Sperber, the Chief Belonging Officer of My Comma. I'm here to help you feel belonging to yourself and within your environment. My commas are, I am a single mom. I have, I am a romantic partner. I am chubby. I am queer. I am sex positive. I am an entrepreneur. I am a co-founder. I'm a friend. I'm a daughter. I am human and I love being here. Ooh. Ooh, you're giving me goosebumps. Okay. I am I am super, super excited for this. So um, I know we're going to get into a whole bunch of things related to my comma and to what it's like having a period and some of the complications that go into that, especially these days. But to start out with, and, and we start every interview this way. Big theme of this this show is that we learn from the, the hard stuff more than we learn from the easy stuff. And so we start every interview with a story of something that was probably not a whole lot of fun or kind of shitty to go through in the moment, but ultimately led to something big and powerful um, that helped you grow. So I'm wondering if if you two can share a story with all of us about, about something tough that you went through that, that got you to where you are today. So I'll start. And it's actually... Kind of cool because it leads to how Rachel and I ended up working together. So Ooh. I do and I don't love this story. <laughs> so last summer, um, I was working at, um, so alongside with like my, you know, the lady box, which is what I was doing prior to Rachel and I working together. I was also doing um, marketing consulting with a creative, creative consultancy. I ended up taking two weeks off because I was feeling burnout. Um, I needed a break and I also needed to reset with the subscription box um, component of things. The first day I was supposed to come back, my, the, my boss calls and says that I have been terminated. That was really devastating for me. There was no notice, no performance reviews. I had no indication. And usually when you're about to get uh, laid off or fired, um, you do have some kind of indication that it's just not working yeah. out. I didn't have any of that. So for me, I'd never been fired before. It was traumatizing. There were some other layers to it to make it traumatizing. But, you know, I it, that happened on a Tuesday. We, my family and I had a camping trip already lined up, um, for the weekend. Right after that, I, we went camping, I did some reflection and I was like, okay, well, this is a sign from the universe for me to lean in to lady, what was called lady box at the time. And so I took it as a sign. The beautiful thing about that is like Rachel and I already knew each other when all of this happened. And she was the second phone call I made when I got fired that day. I don't know why the universe just compelled me to call her. And she was so instrumental in me staying sane and like conscious, I guess, when all that happened. She, if you need a friend that empowers you, Rachel, Rachel's that person. So she was so beautiful when, um, through all of that and was a really good, um, support and cheerleader. So I, you know, I started working and figuring out how to lean in to that stuff. And then, um, Rachel actually ended up going, um, to Europe and traveling. And before, I think either before she went or maybe right when she got back at some point, I said, Hey, I would love to talk to you about our companies and like how we can work together more officially. And she said like, okay, let's talk about that when I get back. And then she got back. I forget when you came back, Rachel, but it was like August or September. 
or something like that. And then I like, I was like, I'm not forgetting to contact Rachel when she gets back. And so I texted her. I did like the nice thing of like, Hey, how you doing? Hope you had a good trip. Also, can we still talk? (laughs) Um, And, and we did. And so we ended up talking about how we can make a more official partnership, but she, no, not, but, and she was like, Hey, before we do that, let's be smart and strategic about it. And so I'll let Rachel take it from there. Yeah. Um, just a little bit of background. So yes, Algerlin and I know each other, but we also collaborated right for a year and a half before we even got to this discussion. And I actually think honestly, we've been eyeing each other a little bit because we, we knew at high level, we had complementary skill sets. And so when we both were in a position to be like, got it, let's meet in person, um, you know, 10 years in consulting strategically. I'm like, okay, let's talk about vision, values. What, you know, what is our goal? Like, does that align to our personal goal? You know, I'm, for me, I like to advocate for people. Uh, I truly believe my role in life is to make to be able to amplify others. And so being able to literally, and I kid you not, put a mirror board together and do a comparison, um, we were very intentional, which is a very core part of our company, of aligning that understanding also our core competencies as individuals, because we have a wealth of experiences, but they're different. And just making sure that um, we understood where we overlap and where, where we can share and drive stuff together versus, you know, I'm fully the, of the belief that like, if it's in your wheelhouse, I will be aware of it, but definitely I trust you, right. To be able to put at least an initial position forward for us to discuss. And so collaborating on that level was really interesting and key. And we committed to having at least two days in person because we aren't, we're physically in the same city we're actually separated by an ocean of water to meet up. But then on, on the back end of that is actually hanging out as people. So when we talk about co-founder dating, I, I was very serious about dating you as a person. Um, so whether it was me cooking dinner for her or having us going on for walks or just having different experiences, really seeing, you know, more parts of the individual is really key for me and uh, has always been when I worked with consulting in consulting because you have to understand the person, their drivers, what's the context of their life and does that really work? And so we did the work. We did the work from September to December and there was actually, I would say, a critical litmus test for us, which was we were invited to Culture Shift weekend to pitch in Miami with less than a week. So we were told that um, we got invited, but we're just like, you have... (laughs) You have, I think we had like five or six days to book flights. Um, and Algerlin is a single mom. So she had to find child, child care, being able to financially support us as well, being able to um, put in the effort to come together with a pitch and our values, right? Because Untaboo and uh, Lady Box were definitely overlapping, but being able to voice that in a single vision and pitch. And we went and we pitched. And for us, it was very much all about a learning session because I wanted to understand how do we work presenting? How do we work in a very stressful situation? Because I truly believe, as you mentioned, you learn the most about someone when shit gets bad. I have a saying, hard but good. I think the most valuable lessons always happen. And so even if it's extremely painful at the time, the value from it has always been more useful, especially I would say earlier um, in the stages of our company. I like to experience shit earlier so that we can avoid that in the future where, you know, a billion dollars of valuation isn't at stake. Right now we're at the 5 million mark, right? So it's, I would say it's more like the, the paddle pool. <laughs> we're okay to test things, right? And I'm, you know, we're very much about testing stuff. So, uh, we had six days to get all that together, work together. You know, I had a plan of like, we need to practice our pitch 20 times before we even go up there. And it was literally the night before we planned things out as well to, I would say, conserve our energy because I'm very much of working to your productivity cycle, not to time. So that's one of the things that 
I think that really helped us as well. Um, and demonstrate how collaborative are we? How communicative are we? Um, what are our natural tendencies when we're stressed? And is that something that we can navigate? Because let's just face it, having a startup is stressful and it will always be stressful. And so, but that, um, I would say emanates differently for every individual. And so for us, we, uh, in my view, we flew with flying colors because we had done all that work beforehand. And also understanding, um, you know, I say co-founder dating, it's a relationship, understanding our love languages. I, I kid you not. We understand our communication tendencies, everything that you put into a significant other. I mean, we joke, but I'm her work spouse. And, and when I'm dating, I literally, that's like one of the first things of like, I hope you understand that I, this, there is a third person in this relationship. And in my work capacity, but I have to employ the same things I do for an intimate relationship here. And we're very um, big on pushing counseling. You know, um, when once we get some things underway for us, that's how important for us to be able to be proactive about our relationship. Because if we break, you know, co-founder breakups are the one one of the top three reasons why startups fail. And then we're BIPOC female. <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of data, you know, statistics against us. And so um, we're just trying to flip the script and saying, okay, so how do we really put our best foot forward in a challenging industry, in a challenging environment, and creating community around that? This is amazing. It's it's interesting. I don't... I know people really do talk about how you need to have good co-founder relationships, but I don't think we go to the level that it really deserves of it is I mean, it's like a marriage. No joke. I mean, I got divorced. And then what two or three years later, I had a business partnership that dissolved in the worst possible way. And it was worse than my divorce. It genuinely was like it was more stressful. It was more um, upsetting. It was also really difficult because I felt like I should just be able to bounce right back and be fine. And it was, and I didn't, I, I struggled with that. And I, I love the way you talk about, you know, love languages and communication and, and, and the kind of closeness and intimacy, because I, this is, you know, we're partners at the deepest level when we are co-founders. And so I'm really curious, you know, you're talking about how you can set yourselves up for success um, particularly because you are underestimated from pure demographics and some of these other sort of situations. What are some of the other ways that you think about this beyond just the co-founder relationship? What other kind of strategies or things are you actively and intentionally trying to give yourself the best advantage that you can, because just by nature of who you are, you, you are at a disadvantage. What else comes up? One component is community and partnerships. Mm -hmm. So our big thing is like, we both really want to have a strong community from our customers for our customers, also with our brand partners too. And so being able to have strong relationships and long lasting relationships with brand partners has been really um, key in like where we are today. Uh, I want to say longevity. I feel like it's been like forever that we've like been doing this, uh, but really what it's been since right before the pandemic. <laughs> but I mean, it really is like if you're able to build a really good community, especially with like your brands and especially like in this space, uh, what is which is called femtech and even wellness, it's so important to have those brand partnerships. Um, so that way, you know, you're sharing information about like what is going to be beneficial to somebody's wellness and well-being. You're sharing that like, hey, there's humans behind these brands um, and that we really care about you too. And, and then like just, you know, working on making actual human connections with your customers. So 
reaching out to them, actually like being a human and talking to them in the DMs if they DM you, um, being responsive and just celebrating them too. So I think community has been like the biggest part of helping us have more of an advantage. And that's with, again, our brand partners and the um, customers, the community itself. And then I would probably tack on our, our team. So every team meeting, I always ask how everybody is. I lead with EQ. So leading with EQ, being a servant leadership mindset for both of us is also really important um, tie-in to who we are because people know we care and we know, and they know that we care about where they want to go. Um, and we've been really blessed with people wanting to give us time. And if anybody knows me, I am very much driven by my calendar, but um, time is the most precious element in my life. I can never get back. And I'm extremely intentional. And so when people give me, gift me, their time it's especially you know without any reward in mind you know we're fully supportive in training and mentoring but also empowering them to get their next level and and as i said i i really believe that's my role in life and i the reason why i found it to be in the period equity space is because i feel like it's one of the most pervasive gender driven impact spaces that people don't really think about until recently um, but it has an impact on every aspect of an individual with only medical data and research coming out now, right? I am um, in a previous podcast, I was already talking about, you know, anyone who's cisgender female couldn't take part in clinical trials. The results of that, and that's 1980. So it was literally the year that I was born. What, the results of that means that everything up, up until that point, products, knowledge, education, anything physical, like everything, emotional, mental, has been built for men, and we were considered miniature men. And we're on the cusp of changing that, right, with more investment in the research space, with more data. Because I, I really feel like to fight inequality, it requires statistics. It requires actual data for people to prove. And instead of saying, oh, that's just a normative statement, or that's just something that you think of, or that's your opinion, it's like, well, this is a fact. This is a fact of life and people don't move the same anymore. They have a different lifestyle and they should live their own lifestyle. And that's why um, it was really important for us uh, to start my comma, you know, with our MVP, which we've had, but we're also evolving that in our crowdfunding campaign later this year. So I love, I mean, I love the way that you talk about these subjects. It's, I am very passionate about, exactly what you're talking about, right? Of the fact that women were not included in medical trials until the 80s. But even still, I think the numbers are like it's 70% men. And there's still a ton of medical trials where it's no, it's not menstruating women, because they are worried about hormonal fluctuations impacting the data, and they don't want to have to take the time and the energy to accommodate that. And but then they are still prescribing medication for menstruating women, having no real data on how, how these medicines, how these pharmaceuticals actually impact us. And it is really interesting. I think, you know, you look at a lot of the data around and, and some of the misinformation, even in the medical community of women and heart disease. Women having heart attacks is grossly underdiagnosed because they're taught the symptoms that apply to men and our symptoms are different. And you think about how that impacts us in a myriad of ways and not just us, right? Our families, the people that rely on us, like all of these other things, and we don't really think about it. And so I'm really curious as you think about the, the evolution of femtech and the evolution of my comma what are you thinking about in terms of how this industry is changing, how our understanding of it is changing? What do you what what do you see on the horizon for my comma and its role, but also kind of the broader industry? I'm just gonna put this out there. The fact that Elsevier was applauded to have the first digital female skeleton and body parts says it all. And that was recent. This was this was this past year. 
So if you think about the skeletons that you saw in your health classes, was it male or female? 100% male. I don't think. And so the fact that only now general medical science, just general well-being, is understanding the fact that you cannot conceptually apply that. You actually need to have physical evidence of the differences right, in um, a cisgendered female body versus a male and how that actually, you know, with heart disease, exactly. But also because of the fact that we, a lot of us deal with a lot of period pain, even though it's the equivalent, of, the pain equivalent of like a heart attack. But, and, and that's to say our pain threshold is higher. So it's also not even reported, right? Because for, for someone who menstruates, who has terrible periods, it's like, oh, well, it's, it's in my chest, but I don't think it's going to be a heart attack, right? And so um, being able to talk about it is one thing. I think the fact that now just general um, medical practices are recognizing that with models is one. I mean, another person is Jessica Penn. She had to show the fact that she had a horrible experience, um, the fact that they, you know, doctors, the, the diagrams in itself weren't actually medically accurate for a woman's uterus and vagina or vulva region. And she has gone through a revolution the last couple of years of getting medical texts, changing that um, and recognizing that. So that could be taught to doctors in this generation. So you have to really think about doctors who've already been graduated medical school and they're already practicing. They don't really fully understand that unless they are actively reading medical journals and, you know, who we can't even say what percentage, you know, really stay on their training for that. I do believe as a result, one key in our, our I would say our, our thing is personalization, right? So even if you start doing that, you started seeing huge investments in personalization of hormone therapy, of birth control. So Aiden is one. And, and I think this is a huge opportunity, right? Because there's been a gap for so long, anything that personalizes to an individual body is now really be seen as like an opportunistic um, business opportunity, you know, a, a business venture. And so um, that's where we're, I've been starting to see it. And I think, you know, there's many reasons why from a business perspective, personalizing and understanding and being human with your, with your community and consumer is really important for loyalty. Right. And being able to evolve uh, as a company and what you can serve, because that's why we exist is because there was a gap area, right, of just having products curated organic subscription period products sent to your home, working with amazing woman led and or BIPOC brands, right, being able to invest in them um, because people just don't aren't aware of it. Um, you know, I in initially inherited Cotex and always from my mother, right? And it was, and sadly enough, it wasn't until my early 30s when I started thinking about Untaboo, now my coma, about what's out there. And right now there's a revolution of products, but now it's about, okay, I'm a consumer, I'm being overwhelmed. How can I find a curated set that's for me? And that's where we come in. And that's where we've started. Um, and we're ready to evolve to the next level. But yeah, I would say those are some of the key things that I've seen now and how I see that going forward. It's just actually doc actually documenting what's happening in a cisgender female body, right? To point that's actually in medical textbooks and in knowledge. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. Hey, 
Did you all know that doctors, they, they don't actually learn about menopause while they're studying medicine in school. It's something that they have to learn about later and like go to seminars. Like people are still learning about how to um, take care of people going through perimenopause and menopause. So menopause was more accepted as a life stage, but perimenopause has only been accepted as a life stage recently in the last, I would say, three years, medically speaking. Before then, um, and my sister, my sister actually experienced this. She was told by her doctor, it's just like, oh, it's just menopause or, oh, you're, it's just, um, you're just going through the hormonal shift. There wasn't this. So either you were menstruating or you were menopause. But there was no life stage, right, of the in-between of, tran- of transition. And so the fact that, again, fact-wise, it's only been medically recognized, I would say, in the last three to five years, says everything, right? We probably know more about the ocean and the and space than we do about it, our bodies. And um, we're big proponents of understanding what's best for you, um, given what information's on hand, right? Nothing's perfect, but... Go ahead. I'll oh, I was just going to say like, yeah, so right now, like we're, we're definitely focused on periods, um, but my comma will be for from first period through menopause so that we're, you know, serving and personalizing throughout all the different stages and cycles. That's incredible because I think this is the other thing that is just, it's an interesting part of, of being a woman. It's, you're constantly changing. I mean, one of the things that I joke about with my friends is the moment that you start to kind of, you're like, okay, things are sort of regular and they're like, I've figured out how I deal with it. Something changes or you go through something that, that sends your body kind of into a tailspin and it affects everything. And the idea of having almost your, your partner on that journey, um, that sounds kind of revolutionary. And I think that's the that's the power of of knowledge, right? That's the power of communication. That's the power of community. And um, I know that people talk about how it, our communities of menstruators. No, it's not. It's also of allies. Like everybody exists because of our cycle, right? No one was born without a vagina, right? I, I probably, you know. Um, and so at this point in time, now medical science will advance that, but I would say as of right now. And so to say that they they have no skin in the game, that they don't know someone who is impacted. I mean, we have uh, people in our community who are like their daughters. They gift our boxes to their daughters or they gift them to um, a, a niece uh, or some or even their mother. Right. Like you, everybody knows a menstruator. Everyone, we all have, and so for us, it's you know, and people are like, well, it's a woman-driven problem. No, it's for um, it's women and non-binary individuals, but anyone who has a uterus, um, and also that support community. Because uh, I'm gonna, ask, you know, if you went into a dating a dating site, like ask how many men have had to maybe shift their dates because of someone was on their period, or like there's an impact to your schedule. There's like, oh, you can't do certain activities. And everybody's impacted. They just don't think about it. And so unless you bring that to light through data in an interesting way where people consume it, it will always be in the background of just like, oh, that's just normal or expected. So I'm curious, okay, how does that inform the way you think about being women founders? Because I think everything we're talking about of there being this sort of lack of knowledge, maybe a lack of support, I think it does apply to all of the things that impact your experience as a woman founder. Algerlin, you as a single mom, right? You know, we all know, right? We've heard all the millions of stories of of VCs asking women founders if they're planning on having children, but they certainly don't ask male founders that. Like, what are some of the other things that you think about or that come up or that, I don't know, piss you two off when you think about some of the the inequity that's just bred into the founder experience? 
<laughs> I think we're all like we're like trying to figure out like which story to like, tell. Shit, where do I even begin? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I'll just say, I'll share really quick. One time I was talking with a VC and um I made the statement of, well, that sounds very privileged uh to them. And and they're and they like received it. They thought about it. And then they were also like, well, <laughs> and the and the question or like the the context is they were saying like, well, um, if you're all in, oh, like we really want to be all in with a founder that is all in in their company. And I said initially, like, well, that sounds like a very privileged statement. And I also said, like, oh, what did I say? I said something like, I am all in vision and heart. I am cash strapped. <laughs> to be like all in all in all in (laughs) and so that's like really frustrating as like a founder you'll hear that from people like uh you need to be all in I'm like I am can you fund me (laughs) yeah yeah if you want me to do nothing else I need money to do that and then and they have the ability to make that happen and it's that catch-22 right and it, it is really interesting I I saw a study recently that was talking about it was somebody who interviewed a, just a ton of successful founders and all of them had raised a friends and family round and the average friends and family round was something like 70 or 90 grand and it's like you know okay well that that talk about privilege right not all of us have friends and family that can pony up that that level of cash oh you know what really just it's frustrating is when you have and are told like you need to set these guidelines and you need to be like the picture perfect perfect founder and then you have someone like adam newman who is a known known criminal billionaire criminal with his wife get his second tech tech startup that is bitcoin related led by Andreas and Horowitz. 70 million, 70 million. And so when you're saying, I'm not even asking for a million at this stage, but you're willing to fund a known criminal, a, a, a white man um, who has done irreparable damage to the community and the people who actually, I mean, we were affected and, I have like some horror stories because I was all about WeWork labs before Um, I had a great community. That's how I met Aljo Lynn. Like I love the other startups there and the community people who actually led it and to see how it it literally crumbled their lives. Right. So for me, it's like, you're telling me that you're okay with someone doing that. And with that level of risk, with that, with known behavior, and you cannot pony up a million or two, right? For women by popular founders, um, that is flabbergasting to me, right? And so it only goes to back to what I've always said, um, that startup world is Alice in Wonderland. What goes up is comes down, what is big is small. Um, and so the only way that you can navigate it is really truly believe be yourself. And so um, when we talk about, uh, I mean, I applaud Algolin being able to stay that to a VC, right? Yeah. Um, it's pretty badass, I gotta be honest. Yeah. And, like, and that's very much what, I mean, when I worked in tech, I've had, I've dealt with the similar attitudes my entire career there. And so for us, it's that intentionality, authenticity, because ultimately you only really want to be with partners who actually believe what you believe and who want to support you the way that you need to be supported. Um, because I've seen other femtechs where they take money from, I would say a family firm. It wasn't a VC, but now they're being controlled by them to the point to their detriment. And I did not leave, you know, big corporate job, survive COVID, go through trauma to have to be able to do deal with that again. And, um, and I think that's where for us, yes, we'll have a smaller pool of people supporting us, but at least we'll be um, effective and 
that's our community, right? That's a long-term, that's our long-term strategy of staying relevant and, and staying alive and genuine. Um, I mean, honestly, we survived COVID. That should say a lot, especially when a lot of big companies tanked. Um, so I, I think, you know, uh, so that's one thing that really just traps my ass. Another thing is, you know, everybody knows this and everybody talks about this, who, even if they're male, they're like, oh yeah, that, that pink love, they got that million. I was like three white men who never talked to any consumer that it was going to sell to. And they still got a million off an idea versus what we're normally told that is to prove our MVP. We are, I would say 99.9% rarely funded at the ideation stage. Well, and, and even in kind of the corporate world, there's been lots of research that proves this out. Women get hired and promoted based on ex- experience. Men get hired and promoted based on potential. And talk about another catch 22. If you are only going to get hired or promoted based on experience, how do you ever reach that, that next level? And I'll, I'll be honest, even in my career, I had worked in a million different jobs in marketing. And it wasn't until I got laid off, started freelancing and doing some consulting, and I could parlay that into saying that I frankly had more experience than I did um, to then you know, have a strategic and like leadership role in marketing. And I don't think they've done the same level of studies in the VC environment. But my guess is those those same dynamics would um, play out in the investment world of potential versus experience. And that's unfair. Yeah, because even right now, all VCs who committed to supporting BLM are being called out because they used it as some kind of PR um, stunt versus the actual execution of it. Because if you take a look at where they actually put their money, they put it back in the companies they already invested in, right? And so this is an interesting thing of, one, why for us, VCs, we're wary of them, but it's more or less if we, if we find the right partner, we're open. But, um, this push to like go fundraise, I, I think at the end of it is, you know, it's our baby, it's our company. We're not so quick to sell it off. I mean, we could have sold it anytime in the three years of COVID, right? Or we could have shut down. And, um, I think for us is just, you know, Fundraising is one way of surviving as a company, um, and especially with the pending recession. And you know, my having gone through and we've gone through the subprime mortgage crisis, and they, I remember the strategies that we help with clients. Like there are other avenues as well. And so, I think this is where being really creative and who you talk to, as well as how you think and collaborate, uh, will be key. You know, and then the next for us. I just kind of want to go back a little bit about like, you know, the experience that we have as female and BIPOC female um, founders having to talk to, not having, but talking to like VCs. So, um, and I've never shared this with um, Rachel before, but so, okay. So we have very complementary skills. We also have distinct personalities. And so And I love it. I love, I love that. And so what I have learned and like, especially like the past couple of weeks of like working on projects together is, um, and I've always kind of known this about myself, but it's really apparent about myself now is I'm very much the type of person that like wants to just like get something live, have it go. And then like, let's just like see what happens. And then like, we can like, you know, fix things as we go. And then Rachel is the enhancer. Um, and like, wants things like polished and like good quality, which is something I very much appreciate about Rachel. But sometimes when, you know, there's some of that quality control that we're going through, I go, I go in my head and I'm like, there's no fucking white man that has to go through this. He can just do what I want to do and just like get shit live and people will totally give him money, but we have to enhance it. We have to have it polished. We have to take the extra steps in order for people to want to buy in. 
No, and we collaborate. And this is where communication, you know, it always comes down to communication. Whenever there's been a, a misunderstanding, it's literally because of the fact that we did not talk at all about a topic. That's it. And we recognize that, right? That was the first thing that was like, oh, it's just because we didn't make time for us to talk about it. And so, hence the relationship part is super important for us. But yeah, it's also, you need both. In startup world, you need to have a framework of quality, but also being able to execute and do the timelines. And that's where, again, us together has been, I would say, the one plus one equals three, right? We were doing our own thing well in our own right, in our own right. But coming together as a team with the people in the community has taken us on another level. And we've seen that. Um, with our increase of consumer subscriptions. We've seen that with interests and invitations to different events and speaking gigs. So I am very grateful that she actually had that traumatic event <laughs> a summer ago because I also have my own trauma. Um, I mean, I had a marketing person who almost died and was in the hospital with COVID. Uh, due, not due to COVID shot, not even COVID in itself. And being able to deal with that for the first time, I've never had that happen, even in my corporate world, because even then there would be processes and other supporting functions. But, you know, I led with EQ very much trying to, you know, with my team and we banded together. But yeah, and similarly on in parallel, we were having our own setbacks. I also had my CTO back then. He's from Pakistan. He wanted to take his family back because people were dying. And so his his daughter, like he wanted to see his, he wanted his daughters to at least meet family members in remote parts. And so um, I think at some point I will definitely write a book about it because one of the investor friends that we have is just been, it's so interesting, right? Of what it takes for us to be in business together as well as um, just in general. But, you know, I honestly wouldn't have any other way right now. Okay. So... I'm glad. And tell us about the crowdfunding campaign. So, so we're recording this in early June. By the time this goes live and by the time people are listening to this, your crowdfunding campaign will be live, will be active. So tell people a little bit about it, about what's included, about how they can support what you're doing. We are hosting the crowdfunding campaign on iFundWomen. So if you go to ifundwomen.com backslash projects backslash my comma, um, you will, will find it the there. in the show notes, everybody. Yes. So you can support. We have so many great rewards. The featured one that we have is called Self-Empowered You. It's for $50. And so if you support us, then in return, you get a um, beautifully branded journal, a beautiful pen, um, and a few other goodies as like uh, a token of our gratitude. But there's so many other great ways aside from monetary support by like sharing your own story. If you are a menstruator, we would love to hear what your my comma is and what it means to you. So if you heard how we introduced ourselves, um, you can do it that way. Um, and then if you are an ally, a non-menstruator, um, you can share about it um, and like even buy a gift for somebody that you really care about and want to help them feel happier and special during their period. But the crowdfunding campaign is going from June 14th uh, through mid-July. Um, and if we get that demand, we'll have it go longer too. But we are on a path to raise $25,000 so that we can enhance the personalization capabilities of our website. So again, people can have happier periods, create a period um, care routine that is um, personalized to their lifestyle. And Rachel, what am I missing? Well, I guess let, let me just double click of what personalization means, right? Because I think people are like, okay, well, what does that mean? So from a user experience, it means, I would say better product swap out. So right now you get a box based upon the brands we have assessed and meet our standards um, and our partners with. But, you know, you have a better selection or wider selection of different organic tampons or pads that you felt like were best for you. 
Um, also, similarly for snacks as well as self-care items, um, we're, uh, it also allows us to get better inventory, actually supporting these amazing and BIPOC-led brands. Um, as I said, you know, we would like to put our money where our mouth is. And one thing we didn't mention is as, as two individuals, after we exit, our point is to actually invest in the social impact area. So until we get to that point, this is how we can do it. And so you, uh, if you support us, it, that's where the money is going. And I'm all about technology and innovation. So again, understanding, I would say more proactively, your concerns or your preferences, it's just going to be a little bit better experience. It's more refined. And it actually is in accordance with your cycle. Now, that being said, it's not only for menstruators. Um, we do have period optional people where we have our delectable boxes. So you can still get self-care and food items. Or if you're just an ally, you can also um, support us by donating. And we will put you on our thank you contributions page. So there's different ways that people can do that financially. But again, as Aljolan our media guru said, like, we love to understand stories. I think stories are so powerful. And I truly believe that's what startup world really trades in. They barter, create, share, sell stories, really more than products or people, if that makes sense. And so help us amplify our story. And, and it goes back to what you both have mentioned multiple times, which is the sense of community. And I think that's something that we all go through as menstruators as well is we don't always know that our experience is similar to others. And so being able to hear um, what other people go through, how they deal with it, some of the strategies that they employ, the products that they use, it can make us all feel a little less alone and more connected to one another. This has been an awesome conversation, um, really packed with a lot. I mean, we covered a lot of ground here. Um, Co-founder dating, um, the importance of community, leading with EQ, equity in the venture world, a million other things. Um, I have three questions before, before we close. So first one, what is one thing that makes each of you grateful to be a founder? Um, for me, it's knowing that I, my, just my being here and working with others has improved their quality of life. That actually is what held me down and kept me sane during COVID when I felt like everything else in the world was falling apart, but that I still had value as a human being. I, I get to live in and for my purpose, which is helping people feel belonging to themselves and the environment around them. It's amazing. Okay. What is one resource and it can be a book, a person, a course, uh, I don't know, whatever practice that has been pivotal to your growth. Uh, I, I have a couple. So there, there's a quote from Brene Brown that talks about the most loving people actually have boundaries. So that, that, in architecting my next chapter as a co-founder and evolving as a co-founder, um, human being, it's a key quote I keep in my head because uh, if you're a giver and I am naturally, you think, no, 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 it's fine. And it's like, actually, there is a point of it not being fine. And you have to understand your human basic needs. And Aljol and I actually reinforce that for each other every single day. Like, did you eat? Did you drink water? Did you take time out? Did you go exercise? I kid you not. This is part of our, <laughs> this is part of our daily conversation. Um, and then my other resources, you know, since I'm a data nerd, that the book Invisible Woman, all about how having data and um, really shifts and demonstrates how uh, the world has been created in the inequity. So it speaks to that. So I would say those are my two big resources that I keep in mind. Shout out to Rachel. Uh, people are going to think like I crash on Rachel. With they're right, I do. Um, so anyway, I uh, shout out to Rachel because I didn't learn about chronotypes until I met her, and that was like 
game changing for me because I got to learn I am the most productive and communicative and collaborative in the morning. Like hit me up mm. between seven to like one and I'm like good to go. And then I'm definitely very tired, but can still like work on my own in my quiet little space at night, like after seven, but I'm kind of like, no, I, I don't want to talk to people after seven o'clock. So learning my chronotype was like game changing because it helps with the productivity and even like how you can like knowing when you can communicate with people. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. And then the other one, I am obsessed with the podcast. Um, uh, sorry, Casey. Uh, <laughs> like I love your podcast too. Um, and, but like, I am obsessed with the podcast <laughs> man enough. Um, like as uh. a, as a mom of a son and then even like as a cis woman myself, it has been so helpful to listen to that podcast as a human. And then even just like, understanding the psychology of the patriarchy and like men and where everything stems from and then being able to apply it into the work that we are doing it's been it's been so helpful for me Uh, that's an it's an amazing podcast I really want to read Liz Plank's book the the episode where they interview her her childhood and the issues she has from her childhood are so incredibly similar to mine that now I like I I listened to that episode and I immediately shared the the episode with my partner and was like if you want to understand how my brain works just listen to this and I now share it with people when they're curious about why I am the way that I am like it's such a good episode but yeah the show is incredible okay last question so if each of you, if you could go back in time and you could tell your younger self, you're just about to become an entrepreneur self, some advice, what, what would you say? So my younger self, I was probably much more regimented than I am now. Surprise, Algerlin. <laughs> uh, I was uh, probably a lot more straight-laced. Um, and, and part of it is, you know, my background. My parents were... I knew that they loved me, but I would say they just did not show the range of emotion that a lot of people experienced all growing up. Um, so back then, if I'm trying to get back into that headspace, um, I actually was pretty confident in terms of betting for myself. Um, but I think what would be, what would have been helpful is to know that I am enough and I am loved um, back then to, to figure whatever comes my way out. Um, I had always been a problem solver. I had done well in school. So there's things where just like, yeah, you know, but I think that EQ element of, I will, I mean, I, I was also known as like more sensitive within my family, but just being able to lean into it more, I would have definitely appreciated that. Um, so I had a very special aunt, Aunt Lucy. She passed away right before the pandemic. She was my favorite Mm -hmm. aunt. She was 93. She like lived a beautiful, beautiful life and like was the sweetest, happiest woman you could ever meet. Like if, if there's tips on like how to live a long life, it's to be loving, it's to be happy and read. Cause she did all those things. Um, and, and like she, she moved as, as much as she could until she couldn't. So, um, what I would tell myself back then, it's pretty similar to Rachel, um, is aunt Lucy is right. And what my aunt Lucy always told me was she, she always told me every time she saw me, you were so special every time. And so I would go tell my like younger self, and Lucy's right. And then I would say, never doubt. Mm, I love that. That is a really, really fabulous way to end this. Um, ladies, thank you so much for this. Thank you for, for sharing your stories, your wisdom. And everybody listening, check out the crowdfunding, get involved, give support. This is a 
not just a product. It is not just a company. It is a movement and it is a really, really damn powerful one and one that we are overdue for. So support these women. I hope you enjoyed that episode on the High Growth Founders podcast. If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time. 